Yeah. Hi. Good morning, everyone. If you're on uh, if you're on uh, the West Coast, and good afternoon if you're on the East Coast, and good evening if you were on the in Europe or in Asia. Welcome to our August Tosca 3030. We have uh, over 100 attendees, which uh, for August is pretty good, and particularly since we uh, uh, canceled the July Tosca 3030, for which I apologize. Uh, I was uh, called out on travel at the last minute. So there's the dial-in information, uh, and we're still getting people uh, dialing in. Uh, but in any event, uh, next slide. I'm Herb Stryker. I've spoken on a number of these. Next slide. So what we're going to talk about today is different ways an industry has been engaged uh, with EPA in the implementation of new TOSCA. We're going to talk about three topics. We're going to talk about manufacturer-requested risk evaluations under Section 6 of TOSCA. We're going to talk about commenting comments that industry has submitted in connection with the EPA uh, uh, for prioritization candidates. You may recall they had 20 high-priority candidates and 20 low-priority candidates, so we'll talk about some of the industry comments that were submitted uh, in connection with those proposals. Uh, we'll also talk about some industry comments that were submitted in connection with recent CBI proposals. Uh, next slide. So, in terms of manufacturer-requested risk evaluations, uh, there is that process under uh, TOSCA Section 6B4C, and uh, that section of TOSCA requires EPA to establish basically the format uh, and the criteria that will govern manufacturer requests that EPA conduct a risk evaluation on a substance that they manufacture or import. Now, you may remember, or you may recall, that there are two ways uh, that EPA can select substances for risk evaluation. One is that EPA itself prioritizes a chemical as a either a high uh, as, as, as a uh, as a high priority for risk evaluation, or a manufacturer importer asks EPA in a petition uh, to consider um, uh, evaluating their substance under TOSCA Section Six. Now. The statute requires the EPA must grant any request it receives. Uh, there is one exception that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but if EPA receives a request that conforms with the rules in terms of how the uh, petition has been structured and the information of the petition, EPA must uh, grant that request until uh, a minimum of 25% of all ongoing high priority risk evaluations have been met through manufacturer requested risk evaluations. So minimum should be 25% of all ongoing uh, uh, EPA risk evaluations. Uh, the maximum is 50%. Uh, and then and EPA is directed to give preference to requests for which EPA determines uh, that restrictions imposed on one or more states have the potential to significantly impact interstate uh, commerce or health in the environment. Why is that? Well, as you may recall, and we'll talk about in a few minutes, if there is a risk evaluation that's ongoing, the states are precluded from regulating uh, that substance uh, for the uses that EPA is evaluating uh, under risk evaluation. So the idea is uh, that EPA will decide uh, after the 25% threshold is hit uh, as to whether or not uh, there is a, uh, a concern that the states will are, are planning to regulate one of these chemicals 
and that will have a significant impact on interstate commerce. Now, there is one exception to the uh, requirement that EPA grant these petitions if they're in proper form, and that is if the substance is one which appears on the 2014 update of the TSCA work plan. Now, remember that point because that becomes quite important later in this discussion. Uh, there, that is discretionary. A petition that is submitted to EPA uh, for a substance which is on the 2014 update of the TSCA work plan Granting that petition is discretionary with the EPA, and in fact, it doesn't even count for the 25% and up to uh, minimum, up to 50% maximum uh, percentage limitations that I discussed earlier. Next slide. So there are regulations uh, that govern what should be in a manufacturer requested risk evaluation. These are found in Section 702.31 of the EPA uh, regulations. So basically. What a manufacturer does, it, it, it makes a request that EPA conduct a risk evaluation for the substance. Uh, the manufacturer import is allowed to pick and choose the particular uses uh, that it wants EPA uh, to consider uh, in this risk evaluation. So within 60 days of receiving a, uh, a complete request, what appears to be a, a complete request, EPA is required uh, to submit the request for publication in the Federal Register, open the docket, and provide an opportunity for public comment of no less than 45 days. After the comment period closes, the agency has 60 days to either grant or deny the request. And the basis for granting or denying would be, uh, if you're dealing with uh, something other than which is on the 2014 work plan, uh, that the petition uh, does not have sufficient information about the chemical and its uses to allow EPA to do a risk evaluation. So it is anticipated by uh, Congress. It was anticipated by Congress. Uh, and if you actually look at uh, uh, the uh, Senate report and the House report that accompanied the Lautenberg Act, you'll see that it was anticipated somewhere between one-fifth to one-third of all ongoing risk evaluations would come from manufacturer-proposed uh, substances. So why is that? Well, the manufacturers have to pay a fee. They pay a deposit of a roughly $1.3 million, uh, and then uh, they will also then also have to pay additional funds if EPA spends more than that amount in conducting the risk evaluation. So this is a way for, uh, for basically for manufacturers and importers to fund the risk evaluation program. And in fact, if you look at the Senate report and the House report, you'll see that it was contemplated that a major portion of the funds available to EPA to run the risk evaluation program would come from manufacturer-requested risk evaluations. Uh, next, next slide. So what does the quest have to include? It has to include a list of all existing relevant information on the substance and its uses that are part of the request. As I mentioned, when you're dealing with manufacturer requested risk evaluations, the manufacturer can pick and choose what uses it wants EPA to consider in the risk evaluation. Now, we talked about preemption. Preemption is, uh, you know, where EPA action precludes the states from acting in the same way. Uh, and uh, the preemption for a, for a manufacturer risk of, uh, requested risk evaluation would only apply to those uses 
that are subject to the evaluation. So it's important for the manufacturers to figure out what uses they want to include uh, because that plays a central role not only in the work that EPA does but also uh, in the preemption that will apply you know, while EPA is conducting the risk evaluation. So the, the list of, uh, of all existing relevant information uh, must be accompanied by an explanation as to why the information is adequate to permit EPA to complete a risk evaluation addressing the uses that the manufacturer has identified. And by the way, that would be the basis for EPA to decide whether to grant or deny the petition uh, would be whether there is sufficient information to allow EPA to conduct its risk evaluation. Uh, it need not include copies of the information. Citations are sufficient uh, if the information is publicly available. So publications don't have to be included. Citations to publications are adequate. Uh, obviously, if one's dealing with uh, unpublished material, that would have to be submitted uh, to EPA. Uh, that raises all kinds of questions of whether uh, whether or not those that information would be maintained in confidence uh, and, uh, you know, it will show up in EPA docket. That raises all kinds of questions, which we talked about earlier, as to whether, you know, people in Europe and Korea, Taiwan and elsewhere could use that publicly available studies if the manufacturer uh, is including them in the docket. So that is a consideration to think about as you decide whether or not to request a risk evaluation. So you have to include all, uh, uh, either include or, or reference all available information on the health or safety of the substance, the exposure uh, of a substance, and as relevant to the uses that are part of the petition. Next slide. So we talked about preemption, uh, and so uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, where preemption uh, applies in the case of manufacturer requested risk evaluations. Preemption will apply if EPA um, uh, uh, decides to regulate the substance at the time that the risk management rule is issued, and it also will apply if EPA decides the substance uh, is not uh, uh, does not present a unreasonable risk, and, and uh, so then the preemption will then apply to that substance for the uses that EPA evaluated in the uh, in their work. There is no preemption pause in the case of manufacturer requested risk assessments, and that's important to understand. So normally, if you have a substance that's been prioritized by EPA for risk evaluation under EPA's initiative, from the time that EPA established this establishes the scope of the risk evaluation till the time it completes its work, the states cannot act uh, to regulate that chemical for the uses that are within the scope. However, there is no preemption pause for a manufacturer requested risk evaluations. Uh, next next slide. So what's, what's going on so far? Well, EPA has actually received two petitions uh, recently uh, on May 24th. Of this year, EPA received a request to conduct a risk evaluation of two phthalates, uh, disodecyl phthalate and disodonyl phthalate, and both were identified in the 2014 update to the Tosca work plan. It's important to remember that I said that if you have a chemical that is in the on the 2014 update to the Tosca work plan, uh, and that is the subject of a manufacturer requested 
uh, risk evaluation, that EPA has discretion on whether or not to grant that petition. Uh, and so that's different than the normal case for a substance which is not on the 2014 update to the work plan. We EPA must grant the petition if the petition contains all the information that EPA needs in order to conduct the risk evaluation. So remember, in the, ca in the case of these phthalates uh, that were petitioned, uh, the EPA's decision on whether or not to grant them is discretionary. Next slide. Okay, so just I'll, I'll go discuss a little bit about what was in the, uh, one of the phthalate petitions, uh, and not the other one, I'll just focus on one of them. Uh, there were a fair number of uses uh, that were uh, identified uh, that the manufacturers asked EPA to evaluate. Um, I haven't checked to see whether uh, any, any there are other uses of that phthalate that were not identified, but it is very, very comprehensive in terms of the uses uh, that the manufacturers identified and asked EPA to evaluate. Next slide. Uh, the, uh, the petition also outlined in great, uh, in great care, great detail, uh, all the various uh, risk evaluations that have been conducted by other regulatory authorities. Uh, for that particular phthalate, there is a uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, advisory panel risk evaluation. Uh, the European Union has conducted uh, two evaluations on the substance, one in 2003, one in 2013. Uh, Australia has conducted an evaluation in 2015, and Environment Canada also conducted uh, an evaluation in 2015. Um, all of these uh, uh, regulatory authorities, national authorities, concluded that there were no concerns associated with that phthalate. So it sounds, seems like from the petition that there's lots of information. It's been evaluated by many, many different countries and the conclusion has been uh, that there is no concern or unreasonable risk to health and the environment. Um, the petition is very well done, quite frankly, uh, and actually contains, it contains 31 pages of citations, uh, several, several hundred uh, 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 articles. So it's a very robust, comprehensive petition, even though the granting that petition is discretionary, uh, I would I would be very surprised if EPA does not grant it. Next slide, please. So what is the NGO reaction? So this presentation is a little bit about what industry is doing in terms of engaging with EPA, but let's not forget that NGOs are very, very active when it comes to Tosca. There have been many lawsuits that they've launched. There have been many complaints that they've written, filed in comments. Uh, they've gotten uh, senators and congressmen activated uh, on many, many different issues. Well, here, uh, at least two NGOs have, have uh, called the request for EPA's risk evaluation of these phthalates and attempt to, quote, circumvent state-level regulation of the substances, um, uh, end quote. Um, and they point to specifically to the fact that there is a main statute, uh, which was signed into law on June 13th, uh, which would protect children and families from many phthalates, including these particular two phthalates, and they say that if EPA takes action, it would block health policies uh, from being enacted in other states. There are a couple of problems with this whole argument that the NGOs have. First of all, as I pointed out, these two chemicals are on the 2014 Tosca work plan. 
There's no preemption pause that, uh, pause that would apply to these chemicals. So preemption would only apply uh, if the uh, EPA concludes uh, that the substances do not pose on a reasonable risk to health and the environment, or EPA decides there is a risk and regulates and issues a final uh, Section 6 risk management rule. Secondly, and more importantly, this main statute actually only deals with food contact uses of phthalates. As you know, food contact uses of chemicals is outside the scope of TSCA. Uh, and so, quite frankly, I don't know what the basis for the NGO complaints are other than simply the complaint. But in any event, Congress clearly contemplated that there would be manufacturer uh, requested risk evaluations. In fact, the whole system depends on there being a substantial number of these. And Congress clearly contemplated uh, that the, the purpose, one of the reasons uh, for submitting these uh, petitions to evaluate your substance is to be able to benefit from the preemption provisions under Section 18 of TSCA. So here's a case, as with many cases, where I believe the NGO um, um, argumentation is not well taken. Next slide, please. Moving on. Prioritization candidates. Next slide, please. So you may recall EPA proposed 20 high-priority substances, candidates for designation of 20 substances as high-priority for risk evaluation. They also proposed uh, 20 for low-priority risk evaluation. So let's talk a little bit about the high, and I want to talk a little bit about the low as well. So in any event, uh, if you look at the dockets, um, yeah, dockets are fairly thin, quite frankly, for most of these. I would have expected a lot more comments submitted by uh, industry. Uh, we have a lot of comments by NGOs for each of the 20 high-priority chemicals. seem to be very, very active in this area. If you're concerned about these chemicals, if you uh, are handled one of these chemicals, you really need to be mindful about what's going on because the NGOs are weighing in in force to ensure uh, at least in their view, that EPA conducts uh, uh, robust risk evaluations, uh, that they don't uh, uh, drop uses such as legacy uses and all other kinds of things. And so uh, there is a lot of pressure on EPA from the NGOs when it comes to these high-priority candidates. So there were some comments by industry trades, uh, pretty much the same trades commented on each of them. Uh, only a few companies commented. Um, and I think uh, in some cases where there was an existing, long-existing uh, uh, task force or trade association that deals with these chemicals, uh, the comments that were submitted by those uh, trades were fairly robust, I will agree. Now, interestingly, one trade argued that EPA should not exclude uses for any of these chemicals in order not to defeat federal preemption. So I thought that was a very interesting argument that is submitted time and time again in each of the 20 dockets by one trade association. Uh, next slide. So this is an impossible slide to read, uh, but it will be uh, posted on our website. I just want to tell you a little bit. So when it came to low-priority chemicals, candidates, there were 20 of them, mostly sugars and, and, and some alcohols, food alcohols, things of that nature. Uh, there were no NGO comments, zero. It's actually the first docket since, there's, uh, since the Lautenberg Act 
that hasn't been overrun by NGO comments. So there were no, zero. Uh, there were some industry comments, uh, but very few, uh, for some of the uh, alcohols. Uh, interestingly, EPA pu- uh, published a, well, didn't publish, they issued a pre-publication notice yesterday uh, that they are moving forward with the 20 low-priority chemicals. So all 20 candidates that were low-priority are being um, proposed uh, for designation as a low-priority for risk evaluation. Uh, there are supposedly assessments, risk, uh, risk assessments in the dockets, uh, and that docket will be available as soon as EPA publishes its notice in the Federal Register. But it already is a pre-publication notice. came out yesterday. All 20 low-priority chemicals uh, have been proposed for a designation as a low priority for uh, for uh, risk evaluation, uh, so that you know, gets some preemption if there if there would ever ever any interest in the states in regulating these chemicals. Uh, but also, I think you could probably may be able to use its ultimate designation in the uh, in the marketplace to your benefit. Uh, however, it's still only proposed. There's a 90-day comment period. Be very interested to see what the uh, uh, reaction from NGOs, you know, is uh, to the EPA proposal to move forward with these 20 uh, low-priority uh, chemicals. So, uh, if you are involved in one of those chemicals, uh, you should be pay attention to the uh, commenting opportunity, and there'll be a 90-day commenting opportunity after EPA publishes, uh, the form officially publishes the notice in the uh, Federal Register. I know you can't read the slide, but uh, it will be posted on our website uh, along with a uh, uh, an audio recording of this uh, Tosca 3030, and you can you know look at this at your leisure. But basically, I've listed the chemicals, and I've indicated a number of comments that were received on these different chemicals. Next slide. So CBI proposals. So EPA issued. Uh, well, let's go to the next slide. So let's go to the first one, which is recent and I think quite important. I think many of you may have heard that EPA has announced in the Federal Register, and did so in a notice that was published on July 16th, that beginning uh, tomorrow, beginning tomorrow, it will no longer send notices of deficiencies uh, with respect to CBI um, substantiation. So if you have been, if you have been involved in uh, claiming CBI uh, in your PMNs or your CDR reports or your um, Form B notices of uh, of uh, activity or anything you've been submitting to the EPA, uh, and you have perhaps in the past received a letter from EPA saying that there was some deficiency in the substantiation that you provided and they gave you some time, usually 30 days, to cure that deficiency. EPA is stopping that. There's now what they're going to do is they're going to review your substantiation for your CBI claim. And if they find that it's deficient in some way or flawed in some way, they will reject that claim without uh, you know without they will simply reject the claim. There'll be no notice of deficiency. And now, of interest, uh, as I mentioned, EPA announced this uh, this new policy in the Federal Register, 
However, uh, they're not accepting, at least officially, comments on the CPA announcement. Uh, there are some questions as to whether any of this is appropriate under the Administrative Procedure Act. Um, and if anyone is, is thinking about that, uh, there's only, uh, I think, two months to file something in the, uh, in the D.C. Circuit if you're concerned about that. But in any event, that's where EPA is, um, and that starts tomorrow. And next slide, please. So there has been some industry action, at least as uh, reported in the trade press. As I mentioned, EPA is not accepting comments in the Federal Register on this proposal, but that doesn't preclude people from expressing their point of view, at least publicly. Um, and uh, as we understand, SOCMA, which is a trade association for, uh, for uh, chemical manufacturers, uh, says that EPA should rethink this proposal, which I think is probably right, uh, but there's no indication that EPA is rethinking this proposal. Uh, and uh, also, according to the trade press, the American Chemistry Council, which is also a trade association that deals with chemical companies, says that while it would be preferable uh, for the EPA to continue sending out these deficiency notices, the quote in the trade press is, we understand that doing so is not statutorily mandated. So I did want to compare this a little bit, because uh, the point of this presentation is industry engagement, to what the NGOs do. Anytime the NGOs are not happy about something the EPA does under New Tosca, uh, there are several things they do. Uh, they write letters. Uh, they get congressmen and senators engaged to write letters to EPA, which is an extraordinarily effective technique to get EPA to rethink what they're doing. And sometimes they sue. Uh, so I, you know, just be mindful that there seems to be a somewhat difference, at least in my mind, uh, in terms of the effort uh, by NGOs when they're not happy with something EPA does. Um, next slide. So what happens? Well, if EPA denies the claim, again, you get no notice of deficiency. You get a, sort of a letter. You get a written notice from EPA that they denied the claim. Uh, and that uh, they will uh, disclose the CBI, what you claim the CBI, publicly 30 days after you receive this notice. Now, apparently you receive the notice by certified mail or by hand delivery. Um, at, at least according to the statute, you have to, it either has to be certified mail or hand delivery. Uh, and you have the right, if you think it's important enough, uh, to, to go to court and where you can go to court uh, to appeal this de decision is in the uh, district court uh, where he, uh, the company resides or has its principal place of business or the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Importantly, if, it, if an appeal is filed, that EPA cannot disclose the CBI until the appeal is decided. And you should think about it because it might take two to three years for an appeal to be decided. By that time, maybe your CBI really isn't CBI anymore, and you really wouldn't lose anything if EPA ultimately uh, uh, releases it to the public. So in any event, if you have a denial of a CBI claim, if it is something which is important to you, well, first place, you should try to make sure that your substantiation passed muster in the first place. But assuming you there was a problem and EPA denies your claim, uh, and the CBI is important to you, uh, and but it's time limited in terms of the sensitivity of the information, 
certainly might want to think about lodging an appeal. Next slide. Uh, that was my final thoughts. Next slide. Uh, don't forget our uh, OSHA 3030 uh, is Wednesday, August 31st. The next TOSCA 3030 is September 11th. Uh, I unfortunately won't be giving it, which might be a good thing for people. I'm actually going to be um, somewhere presenting, uh, I think, in Europe. And uh, on occasion, we have a fifth or 30-30, although we haven't had one in a very long time. Next slide. So, again, the next one is September 11, uh, 2019. Uh, and don't forget, you can you know, listen to the webinar and view the slides at um, that web address, Next slide. And that's me. And that's 30 minutes. And, uh, okay, five minutes from now, there will be our REACH presentation. We actually did pretty good. We had 134 people attend, which I think is a little a little less than normal, but for August, pretty good. Anyway, thank you all for spending 30 minutes with me. There is, in five minutes, a REACH 3030.